All right. Well, <laughs> welcome, everyone. Uh, glad you could be with us today. Sorry that took so long uh, to get going. I think, I don't know what that problem is. It's the same thing that happened last week, and I don't know if that is a uh, my streaming service restream or if it's something with another app. And uh, anyway, so uh, again, I'm discombobulated what we're going to do. So I want to, uh, I'm going to interact with a few questions. First, I want to give you the uh, update or the, uh, I want to show you something that we have going that uh, is new and show you how you can uh, take a look at it. And I was supposed to be setting this up when I was trying to figure out what's going on. So let me, this may look goofy to you for a moment, uh, but we just launched, some of you got the email, probably saw this. Uh, okay, let me make that, uh, can you see that? It's awfully small, awfully. All right, well, I, this does not look like it should. It's too, it's too big. But we have made the John Riesinger Library available online. So if you are interested in reading John's books, if, if you go to, I'll put a link in the show notes. If you go to crosstocrown.org slash books, it'll take you to this. Uh, oh, you can't see that. John Riesinger. <laughs> see, this is why I do this stuff before I get on here to make it right size and now I don't know why it's not happening but it's the John Riesinger online library and you can whoop, just click on a book click on a book and it'll take you to this to the page and you can read it and uh, and there you go so uh, we're gonna be adding these uh, these books once a month or so until we get them all up there uh, so share share it around it's great resources, and we are hoping it'll be a blessing to all of you. And somebody asked me if uh, one of our supporters asked if I would make it make an appeal to everybody to uh, support us, and uh, so I'd love to do that and just uh, show you a couple couple ways that uh, that you can do that. I do not understand why the sizing of this is so so goofy. Uh, anyway, if you go to our website, <laughs> this is this is the. Uh, Oh, if you go to our website, click on donate. Uh, we have a new thing called uh, CC, CTC Partners that we have uh, launched, and um, you can uh, you can become a partner, a monthly subscriber, monthly giver, and you'll have access to uh, the NCST archive videos as well. So I'll I'll uh, fix this, get back tomorrow, and tell you more about it. I've wasted enough of that time. Sorry, I don't. Uh, I don't know what's happening here. Um, and I just closed my window <laughs> that was that had the uh, the questions I want to interact with you. All right, so I, we got some some questions that I was going to uh, respond to here. and uh, let me let me pull them up. I'd like to be able to to show them to you who are with us live uh, on video. and those of you who are listening, I'll try to explain them in such a way. So, uh, Peter, I saw your question there. I'm not sure what you're referring to, so you might have to give me a little more. You ask about Gune being translated wife or woman in 1 Timothy 3.2. I'm not sure uh, what why you're asking that, so you might want to follow up with that. Um, but here's a question. Here's some questions that I wanted to address today. Can you see those? Some thoughts for further discussion by someone named J.M., 
And they, they tie into what Prepped for Eternity has there as well. So let's just talk about this. Um, so the question is here, are New Testament church patterns descriptive or prescriptive? So as we read the New Testament and we see what the New Testament church did, is that descriptive or prescriptive? Do you know the, the difference between those two? Uh, descriptive means it's just laying out for us the history of how it happened. Prescriptive would mean it's prescribing for us, telling us this is how it ought to be. And I think uh, someone asked this question last week, something similar. Uh, are we just supposed to take the, the content of the New Testament as we see it unfolding and simply require it, make this the, uh, the model, the operation. And for instance, when you're the book of Acts and even the Gospels, we see it, th those are history books. Those are books where Luke and Matthew and Mark, John, they, they wrote down what happened. But just because it happened and just because the Bible documented what happened does not mean we are to implement everything that happened in history. Uh, between Acts and, uh, and Galatians, we see some things. In Galatians in particular, we know that Peter did some bad things. He separated himself from Gentile Christians under pressure from Jerusalem and the Jews there. And he began to distance himself and not eat with the Gentiles. And remember, Paul called him out in front of everybody and said he stood condemned. His actions were wrong and they were uh, distorting the purity of the gospel, that, that act of not eating with him. Well, so, you know, we wouldn't take the history, the, the account of Peter withdrawing from the Gentiles and say, oh, we should implement that. Um, or, you know, lots of other things in the book of Acts. We, we don't read the book of Acts and say, oh, we should do everything that we see here in the book of Acts. So it's a really good question. And it's a, it's a hermeneutical question. It, it, it's a question of how do we interpret the scripture? So as we look at how the church came about in the New Testament, I would not argue that we are to implement every single thing we see there. Again, just because this is the way it happened does not mean this is the way it's always supposed to happen. Is that, is that making sense? So you understanding the difference between describing and prescribing? And so we've been talking about the original model, and, and I've been making a sharp distinction between the, uh, well, what I'm now calling the traditional model, which is churches about going to the building at a specific time on Sunday morning for a worship service, that is superintended by a senior pastor. That's what I'm calling the traditional model. And I've been contrasting that with the what we see in the New Testament, especially the book of Acts, where they're gathering in homes and it's much more um, communal, much more um, uh, discussion-oriented, and it's, it's not a service, that kind of thing. So, so the question is, because I can show you how they did things in the New Testament, it doesn't look anything like what we do now in a typical church. Does that mean we should do like they did in the New Testament? All that to say, 
I'm not arguing that we have to go back and do everything exactly the way they did in the New Testament, nor am I saying what my church is doing is the right way that we, we found it and the rest of y'all doing it wrong. And I did it wrong for 25 years. It, that's not what I'm arguing. What I am arguing is I think there are, there are some prescriptive things in the new Testament that we have left and where we have come to creates challenges that I'm not sure can be overcome with the traditional model. And maybe I'll give you some specifics in answer to some of these other questions. Uh, in some sense, I've been giving you specifics all the way along. But the bottom line is, I think the New Testament pattern is both prescriptive and descriptive in some elements. And that's kind of what we've been talking about. Uh, he follows up, or she, I don't know, I don't know if JM, I don't know who this is. Um, what is the optimal church size? Yeah, that's a good question. We're, we're dealing with that in our uh, home fellowship. I don't know. Um, and that ties to uh, when and how should a church consider multiplying and starting additional churches? Yeah, again, great question. We're, we're sorting through that as well as we're growing a little bit. And uh, we could foresee the time when we would at least need to start meeting in two different homes. So I'll, I'll tell you my working theory. Uh, well, let me, let me tell you one more question here. And uh, this person asks here, elders in every church, Acts 14.23, or elders in every city, Titus 1.5, which this is an astute observation. Titus 1 says, appoint elders in every city. Acts 14, verse 23, says they, uh, they, um, sorry, I'm trying to get over to that passage for you. They had elders in the, uh, in the, in the church, let me show you, when they had appointed elders for them in every church. Interestingly, this is the passage we were looking at yesterday in my fellowship. Um, so I'd back up and catch the context here. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. So they, they went to, that was their MO, Paul and, and Barnabas and others. They'd go to a city, preach the gospel, make converts, and then go on to someplace else, and they'd come back through and encourage them, strengthen them, appoint elders, and that kind of thing. So that's what they're doing in these cities. And then it says down here they appointed elders for them in every church. And the question is, uh, what then defines a church? Is it all the, all the believers in a region, a city, or is it a smaller subset? My guess is it starts off with a few, and so there you can say the church of the whole city, the church at Ephesus, for instance. Uh, but as the numbers of disciples grow, uh, at some point that becomes probably too wieldy and they start thinking in smaller subsets. So all of that is descriptive, not prescriptive, and we're not given specifics. Uh, it's a, to, to use theological terms, it's a very... Uh, informal, loose ecclesiology given to us in the, in the scripture. Our systematic theology friends would say, no, no, there's, they, they develop great ecclesiology, uh, chapters and chapters worth in, their, in the theology books, but I don't see it. I think there's a lot of uh, room for uh, some organic growth and leading of the Holy Spirit and so on. 
Um, so I don't want to, I don't want to sound like I'm trying to prescribe exactly how everything's to going supposed to be done. I do think we have some serious challenges in the traditional model that uh, may be insurmountable, which leads to uh, prepped for eternity homestead here, uh, who says this, and I see that I still made this too, too big for you to see. Uh, let me see if I can fix that real quick. Yeah, there we go. So uh, uh, he says, I would be interested in your thoughts, it's down here, on how you think we got to where we are now and how we can get to where the Bible would have us. So how, how do we get here and how can we get to where the Bible would have us? Uh, good question, and that's part of what we're kind of going through and trying to figure out uh, through this whole thing, right? Um, let me uh, let me attempt at uh, how we got here, and then maybe we'll probably be out of time, uh, and we'll come back tomorrow and talk more about where to go. Um, so when you read the Book of Acts, as the as I just described, you've got the apostles going out, winning converts, city after city after city. This is all brand new. And and they're young, and they don't have the New Testament, of course. And, you know, Paul's just going in saying, you know, he starts in the synagogues and tries to persuade the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. They have the Old Testament. They have the scriptures there, and he's trying to show them from the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. And then typically the Jews would reject him, and he'd go to the Gentiles. And for them, he is starting from scratch in one sense uh, and describing, you know, you think you know God, like we saw, we see in Acts 17 at the Areopagus, you, you think you know who gods are. Well, let me tell you who the real God is. And he sent his son and, and preaches the gospel to them. Well, this is all new. They don't have the Old Testament backdrop. They don't have all those predictions and prophecies about the coming Messiah and so on. And he spent some time there. You know, sometimes we see he'll have been there a year or so, and he's teaching them, teaching them everything, you know, he can about Jesus and about how to obey Jesus and please Jesus and, and all that, and probably, you know, brings in Old Testament scripture at that point. Then he moves on to a new city and does the same thing. And then they go back through and, uh, and strengthen the brothers, teach them more, and begin to take some of the more mature ones and, and appoint them as elders the shepherds, overseers, we've been talking about to, to lead the, the sheep and, you know, no doubt giving them some tools, some, some more teaching, training, uh, maybe encouraging them to go to the synagogues and read the Old Testament. I don't know. I'm just, you know, I'm kind of speculating on some of this, but I'm trying to answer the question as I see it, how, how did we get here? And so this very organic, very disorganized in a sense, but they had the Holy Spirit. Remember, that's one of the great promises, one of the great, the two great promises of the new covenant in contrast to the old covenant. Forgiveness of sin because of the cross and that all of God's people in the new covenant would have the Holy Spirit. And what was the Holy Spirit sent to do? To glorify Christ, to, uh, to transform us in, into saints, to, to people of righteousness, to, to convict us of sin and give us the power to overcome sin so that we can obey Jesus. So they weren't left 
powerless and and directionless. They had the Spirit of God, and they and they did have uh, Paul and others teaching them. So then they start appointing elders, and I just uh, just finished teaching us a section of church history one when we started, you know, basically at the book of Acts and working our way up to the Reformation in this whole course here. And uh, I went back and reread the early church fathers, many of them, and was reminded again that by the early second century, so within 40 or 50 years of Paul's death, already we see that there are single leaders of churches rising up, and they're called bishops. So early on, within a generation, instead of the plurality that we see of a group of men who are responsible for the congregations, we see one man in each church rising to the top as the authority. And then they start reading back into the New Testament that model so that James, Jesus's half-brother, he is called the bishop of the church of Jerusalem. Titus is called a bishop. Timothy is called a bishop. And the assumption they make is that Titus and Timothy and James and others were appointed as this top authority, and then they appoint elders, which the New Testament does say, right? Titus, you stay in Crete and appoint elders. And so immediately, or or, or soon on by the early second century, we see bishops as the highest authority, and then the next layer is elders, and then deacons, and then the the church. And we see some authors uh, of the church fathers, quote-unquote, early on saying that the bishop, now get this, the bishop is as God, and the elders are as the apostles. You see that? So just like Jesus, who is God, sends out his 12 apostles and they are under the authority of Jesus, so the bishop stands in the place of Jesus and he has authority over and sends out the elders who are like the apostles. That happens early on in church history. So now you've got bishops in each church and then controversies arise. You got the Arianism, Gnosticism, all those early heresies, and who are the ones who are going to protect the the flocks from heresies? Well, the the bishops are going to take charge of that with elders, of course, but the bishops are the high authority; they're responsible. And so now you've got bishops gathering together from different churches, forming councils and deciding how we're going to address these various heresies heresies that are, that rise up which just reinforces, even even though some of that motivation is good, reinforces the idea that these bishops are the highest authority in each particular church. 
So the question, how did we get here? I think we got here significantly through the, the fact that, that the church allowed a single man to rise to the top place of authority, which of course, if you know your history, led eventually to the papacy, to the pope. So the more bishops you have, you have to have ranking, who's, who's going to be in charge of the various bishops? Well, the archbishop, and eventually who becomes the one chief archbishop overall? Well, it's the pope. And then, of course, they go into all the, uh, the Catholic heresy about the, uh, the, the pope and so on, which dominated the church for hundreds and hundreds of years. Still does a segment of, uh, at least in the Catholicism. So that's, that's a big, re- big part of how I think we got here is, is a, a poor, a, a bad model of church leadership allowing one man to have that authority, which again is somewhat... Uh, continue today in the form of senior pastor, lead pastor idea, which then leads us to the answer to the second question, how do we move toward a more biblical model? As you might imagine, my view is it starts with our, our uh, understanding of biblical church authority, which should not reside in one man. There shouldn't be a senior pastor or lead pastor, that kind of thing. Uh, so we'll come back tomorrow and uh, talk more about that. I, uh, I see our time's up, and I apologize. I I hope I don't know what the problem is. I don't think it's something on my end, but I will dig in and see if I can find it. Um, so have a great day. We will, uh, Lord willing, be back tomorrow, and hopefully we won't have any technical issues. See you then. <laughs>